Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Duco Van Bremen. Duco, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Great to be here. I, could you uh, could you please uh, correct my pronunciation of your last name because I would like for our, our listeners to actually hear it in, a, in the correct form, which I am unable to produce. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll say my full name, Duco Van Bremen. So exactly what I said. <laughs> Just exactly like I said there initially, obviously. So yeah. Hey, we're anxious to hear kind of your backstory, but just share a little bit of your bio with our listeners. Yeah, sure. So um, well, originally from the Netherlands, um, I spent about eight years in China, where you know I went there as a student and then uh, had some small entrepreneurial ventures, got into fashion, acting. Uh, and eventually uh, helped set up one of uh, China's first industrial incubators, helping tech companies grow into China. Um, and then in 2016, I thought, you know what, eight years is enough. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for something new. My mom was saying it's time to come closer to home. So I decided to go to Australia, which is about 12 hours further away. Um, she's not you very need a map. About that. <laughs> <laughs> you need a map. Um, and, and for the past three and a half years, so basically a month after I arrived here, we, um, I got involved with a company called Haymarket HQ, which is a, a incubator, co-working space, innovation hub, whichever, whichever term you'd like to use, um, that helps companies grow into the Asia Pacific. So it's really about helping Australian companies uh, grow into uh, the markets of tomorrow. So a lot of that is in Asia but also to help Asian companies uh, expand into Australia, for which, surprisingly enough, there's quite some demand. So uh, that, in short, is, uh, is, is my bio. So are these, are these multinational companies, or are these companies that just want to like source products from China, or what is it, what is it I mean, is, or is it all the above? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of everything. Um, so uh, a lot of the companies in our space, so we have, um, we have about 40 or so companies here. Majority are, are focused on uh, expanding into Asian markets. Uh, and we also have, for instance, Chinese and Malaysian companies and such that have set up their presence here to expand their presence into Western markets. So they often use Australia as a test market or to set up their Western sort of HQ. Um, now, traditionally, that was very much done in the U.S., but right now they're like, look, there's a lot of tensions happening. Uh, Australia is nice and neutral. Uh, we'll set up in, in Australia, and plus there's, there's, some, there's some clear advantages to that. So it's, it's a bit of a mix, but I'd say mostly uh, it's supporting Australian companies expand into Asian markets and vice versa. And we've, to date, so in the past three and a half years, uh, supported 550 companies. Wow, all out of that one incubator or just in just the service itself? Well, so we we have the the incubator, so to say, in Chinatown, Sydney. So we're literally in the heart of it. Um, but also we run large-scale virtual programs, which we did uh, um, last year and which right. obviously come in quite handy today exactly. or this year. Um, yeah. So what, what uh, I mean, did you come to Australia for that opportunity or did you come to Australia and then find that opportunity once you landed? Uh, so yeah, so that's a bit of a funny story. So when I was in China, uh, at one point in time, I thought, well, it's, it's time to move on. 
um, I, I had applied for some, for some jobs um, and eventually was accepted for a position at Google in Dublin. I thought, wow, this is it. You know, it's the, the company everyone has always dreamt of working for. Uh, Mom's going to be happy. I, I'm getting closer to, to the Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that too. That too. <laughs> but, then, um, but then I changed my mind after I had accepted the offer um, because I just, it just didn't feel right. Right. I, I didn't want to go to Dublin because, well, it's a lovely place, but the weather is even worse than back home. Um, you know, that, that's a big thing in Northern Europe, so to I say. I was there last yeah. year. I agree. Yeah, it, it yeah, rained oh, the yeah, entire yeah. time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, plus, I, I wanted to be a little bit, I, I guess I wanted to have a bit more ownership in what I did. And I quickly found out, and that was also the honest feedback from Google, was that it's very much a large company these days, mm -hmm. right? So um, I just didn't think that that would give me the opportunities to learn and develop like I was hoping I would. Um, so I said no. I said no to several other offers because I simply was not clear about what I wanted to do, uh, and I figured I just need to I need to I need to figure this out. So I did the typical millennial thing, and it was to travel to amongst others Bali to go and find myself. Oh, sure. um, <laughs> I did the three months in Bali or so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I landed in Australia to, to visit a cousin and continue my, my self-discovery. In other words, visit beaches. Um, and here I, I got in contact with a, a few investors that were interested in my story through some event. Um, and they asked me to help with some due diligence in China. I said, look, I have nothing else to do. So yes, happy to go for a coffee and, and, and help where I can. And that's um, how they made the connection at some point to uh, Brad Chan who is the CEO of the Banner Group and who was setting up this innovation hub. So I met with Brad and Brad said, look, we're looking for someone that has that Asia experience, that has a passion for startups and is willing to stick around a little bit. You know, are, are you willing to stick around a little bit? Is it something that interests you? And I thought, well, this, this, this sounds like a challenge. New country, uh, new industry. Um, I was like, okay, this, this is something that got me excited. So that's sort of how I rolled into it. So it was completely unplanned. Wow, that I mean, I love that that story, and and so, you know, you kind of walked into this opportunity. Did he ask you if you like coffee? Did, was that was that another one of the kind of the the whole incubator, you know, idea that you you wanted kind of the millennial coffee, cool coffee bar that included in this? Yeah, ping pong. That's right, bean bags. So, I mean, so when he approached you, and so they were going to do this anyway, obviously. So they were they already had the kind of seed money together. They were going to going to create this. Was this was this somehow uh, was this a give back project from him, like giving back to the community, giving back to the space, or was it actually feeding his his business as well? Um, yeah, so definitely not the latter. Um, <clears throat> so the the Bannock Group is a it's a family owned group, it's a third generation family owned uh, group. Originally, a family is from you know the, the Chinese Guangdong area that went through Papua New Guinea that eventually came down to Australia, which was a very popular route at the time. Um, and they've been very successful here as, as immigrants, you know, when they came here, I believe in the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. um, they, um, and, and big part of what they do is it's about, it's well, filling, uh, it's giving back to the community. So right. they support scholarships, hospitals, and such. Uh, and one of the things they also wanted to do was to support entrepreneurs, right? They are entrepreneurs. Um, they wanted to offer them the space to work from at a low fee. They wanted to give them the tools to expand. And also, they strongly believe that if you look at Australia, uh, one in five people here identify as Asian. Um, we are very much dependent on Asia in trade, 
right? Uh, particularly China, but increasingly so Vietnam and Indonesia, mm -hmm. you name it. We are in Asia. That's another one of those things people tend to forget. Yeah. Um, yet we don't really make use of the biggest asset we have, and that is our talent pool of Asia-capable people, right? Whether they be international students uh, from China or Malaysia or you name it, or people like myself that have uh, had some experience in Asia and right. then came to Australia. Um, whereas that's our future, we're not making good use of it. We're not really utilizing that. Uh, and that was one of the motivations to set up this hub was to really tap into the strengths of Australia uh, and prepare for the future. So this was all done uh, from, from a philanthropic point of view, it was set up as a profit for purpose. So last year we donated uh, a bit of money to also a mental health charity supporting uh, kids, mostly from disadvantaged backgrounds and uh, migrant backgrounds, um, you know, to, to, to help with their mental health and such. Um, so no, this is not a, a business that was supposed to generate any revenues for the family. If anything, uh, many of these businesses are not terribly profitable. <laughs> um, that was really about giving back. Right. So, so tell me the model, the, the incubator model. Is it a is it a a equity share model? Is it a you know you pay a fee to be part of the co working space? I mean, how does the how does the incubator yeah. system work? Um, well, so a few things, right? So we, we um, as, as for funding, obviously, uh, Brad and his family have, have funded um, the place and we are in a building that they own as well. So that obviously helps um, as well as the uh, state government. So in Australia, you have three levels of government, city, state, and then uh, Commonwealth or federal. Mm -hmm. um, so we received some funding through the uh, state government to, to set up this, this innovation hub. Uh, and since then, we've attracted corporate funding from you know, Alibaba, Shirley Post, all these sort of players, as well as all levels of government. Um, but our day-to-day -day expenses and, and our, our monthly revenues come from, well, uh, one is co-working space. Mm -hmm. um, so we simply charge a fee for that, which is quite low. Right. Um, then it's uh, program development. So we run innovation programs, create them uh, with various uh, government and corporate partners. Uh, and then there's some other smaller services, but I'd say it's the majority is, is those two. So and we do not take equity. Oh, there's there's no equity shares. Oh, no. so if it, something some unicorn is birthed out of this incubator, you don't you don't have your exit from five years from the from the next no. Facebook or. No, no. Of course, I will put on on LinkedIn what a great role I played in the success of the unicorn. <laughs> that I will do. So I might get a career opportunity out of it, but no, I won't. I won't, I won't get a big payout. No. So are, are, I, I would assume the majority of these students are Asian background or are not, are they just interested? So, and, and I wouldn't call that, like the majority of the people that, that are actually in our space tend to be a little bit more experienced. So it's not your usual uh, um, early stage startup okay. uh, group. So many of the people here, for instance, just to give you a feel, right? So we have uh, uh, former directors of BCG, we have executives from some of the largest private education companies that set up their own businesses. We have a politician slash university board member slash investor and entrepreneur that's running his company from here. Um, so you tend to see that the people that are here tend to be a little bit more mature, a little bit more experienced, mm -hmm. uh, and enjoy that that sort of tight-knit community where they can right. really help each other out versus the, yes, let's do startup type of, you know, a, a more student-y type of environment. Right. So tell me how, how it's been different. I mean, you, you obviously have run businesses on your own before. You've set up business on your own. You've kind of, you know, started them, exited them. From, 
maybe some failed, maybe some had had different met levels of success. But yeah. what has it been like to go more into like the mentor or consultant role, um, or even just facilitator? Maybe I mean I, I don't know exactly yeah. what role you play in that. Maybe all of them. But what's it? How, how's that been different? Oh, it's very different. I mean, I, I have had no exits myself. Uh, I've had plenty of filled ventures. Uh, some more successful than others, uh, not, none that turn into a unicorn, otherwise you would have had my name somewhere on Forest by now. Uh, I'd have never gotten you as a guest. No, of course I still would have. Um, but I think, um, I think what's been interesting for us is because on one hand you're building up this business from scratch while simultaneously supporting the businesses that are also your clients, right? So it's, it's interesting. Um, and I had to learn a lot about community and what, what does community mean? It's a very vague term. It's, it's yeah. very lovey-dovey sort of term. Uh, but what, what is that really, right? Um, and, that's, um, and that's been a huge uh, learning for me. So what, 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 how has it been? It's, been? it's been fun going into that consulting role. Uh, it's also been very, um, um, it, it's a good way to practice humility because it suddenly becomes very clear what you do and you don't know. Um, so I think it's, it's helped me develop myself very well uh, and it's become very clear as well how important the community is of other investors and entrepreneurs that you can really tap into and, and, and utilize their skills and network. So uh, it's been fun though. It's, uh, it's a very rewarding role to work towards something that's good for the community, that's good for society, that's good for the country, mm -hmm. right? It really solves the problem. Uh, and even though it remains small, Right. I mean, I don't except for Y Combinator, probably the majority of these organizations are fairly small compared to tech companies and such. I think uh, the impact can be quite significant. So that's been uh, that's been very good. So what's your your role is, is kind of like the managing like the, the managing director yeah. or whatever. So what exactly is the role more operational? Is it more entrepreneurial? I mean, are you, do you wear all the hats there? I mean, do you have marketing? Are you, are you trying to push membership or is it more like yeah. they're, they're kind of coming to you? How does, how, what's your day to day look like? Oh, so that's, you know, uh, that's changed a lot over time. So the first, the first year was all about, well, basically doing everything um, and then trying to get that revenue into to then and hire more people. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's worked out. Uh, but that's that's been quite a that's been that was quite hands-on, uh, and then the past year and a half or so, it's become much more strategic. Where it was like, okay, well, how can we set up new programs with corporate partners? How can we work with the government? Um, you know, what are bigger virtual programs, scalable programs? So that's what I focus more on. It's it's the partnerships, it's the PML, it's setting up the strategy, etc. Um, and then we have uh, colleagues that do, for instance, marketing or community and operations. Uh, lots of contractors that help us with, with a variety of different things. Um, so I think for me, the challenge has been to go uh, away from that operational uh, role to a more strategic role, um, which again, a great opportunity to learn, but also difficult to sort of make that transition. Right. I, is, I mean, are, are co-working spaces, are they fairly common in, in Australia? I mean, is it, is it really kind of caught on as an idea there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we started, not so much, mm -hmm. um, but now I'd say it's 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 quite a quite a big industry. You know, you have your sort of startup co-working spaces, and then you have all the usual co-working spaces. Uh, the WeWorks of this world right. are very active as well. Right. 
Um, and, and the overall footprint, I think, well, this was well over a year ago now, was still fairly low compared to the global average, but I think that's caught on by now because everyone wanted to jump in on this sort of innovation wave. Right. Exactly. Uh, and co-working spaces were a good way to get into that. Right. And it was a good way for companies to kind of give back. You know, the, the, I mean, they, they would buy into the idea of helping other people yeah. start non-competitive businesses or non-competing business business ideas. But so when you when you look back at, you know, what it's been like over the last three and a half years, I, I kind of want you to kind of invite us into your like secret meetings you have internally there. And what are some of the conversations that you guys have had internally about the current state of affairs. I'm really curious about, you know, how you're dealing with uh, coronavirus. I mean, you know, in, in the States, I mean, co-working spaces virtually just, just shut down. I mean, like we're, we're not even operational right now. So what's it been like on the ground there in Australia? And what do you see kind of, you know, how have you kind of walked other businesses or startups, you know, kind of through this process a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So, so just taking uh, maybe, uh, initially, that viewpoint of us as a co-working space, uh, you know, the majority of, 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 well, most people stopped going to work, what is it, a week or so after the global pandemic was declared by the WHO, so that was, what, mid, late March? Mm -hmm. um, so, so your business goes from 100% to basically 0% overnight. Um, so it was quite tough because you're like, wait a second, well, how, how are we going to make any money? How are we going to keep our doors open that way, right? Um, so we also had to take the decision that, well, um, in order to support our startups, um, which was again why we were set up, we're not set up to, to make profits off them, right? So mm -hmm. it was really it was really with a, a different mindset that this business was created. So we said, well, okay, first things first is how can we support these startups? Uh, and then we'll worry about how can we actually uh, make sure that we continue to, to thrive and, and grow. So we've given out three and a half months of free co-working space. We've kept the place open, but with severe restrictions in place. But some of the companies here really do need that space. Um, and, and it's quite important, I think, as well to keep the place open for those companies. Um, so that's what we've done. But, you know, again, severe restrictions in place. Uh, um, so, so that's been that's been working well. We've seen more people come back this past two weeks, right? So it's it's been doubling every week. Now, when I say doubling, that sounds like a lot of people, but you know, if you go from three to six to twelve, you know, that's, exactly. that's, these are not huge numbers, right? Right. Um, and lots of conversations as to well, what does the future look like, right? And um, when when we try to answer those questions. I, I look at well, what's happening in the co-working industry globally. So we joined a lot of communities on that. We've just yesterday set up our own little Slack community for co-working space operators in New South Wales, really with the idea of, well, let's, let's bring them all together. Let's spread the benefits of co-working and get out of this sooner and faster and really collaborate versus compete. Uh, I right. think there's plenty of room for that. So that's something that we're doing. Um, and it's looking at other industries. Well, well, how's the fitness industry dealing with this? The restaurant industry, um, you know, what are the thought leaders in those areas predicting? How are people responding to some of the things that we're implementing? Like the, mm -hmm. we have an, an oximeter that measures your oxygen levels. You know, how do people respond to us asking them whether or not they would like to use it? So we're just constantly trying to test and probe a little bit to see what, what works, what doesn't, learn from our peers, uh, and try to get an accurate picture of what can we expect economically. Nobody has the answer, but there are a few people that are probably worthwhile listening to. 
and you know we have a, a 69 year old uh, former microeconomist, government servant, investor, company founder uh, that's been through I don't know how many uh, crises, and and he's obviously been a very good source of information. Uh, and we're just preparing based on the number of scenarios we set out. So lots of talks, talking to the government and talking to more experienced people, learning from other industries, and mostly not trying to stick in your own little bubble and, and, and thinking that your solutions might be the best. Right. It's sort of, it's, it's practicing humility, really. It's saying, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I'm, I, that is, I, it is a great answer. And, and you're right. I mean, no one really knows what this is going to look like, you know, on the backside of, of this, but it's interesting, this, in, in the history of mankind, this is the first time this has ever happened. I mean, you yeah. can talk about world wars, you can talk about famines, you can talk about the plague, you know, the Black Death in Europe in the Middle Ages, but there's, yeah. no, there's never been a time in our history that we literally hit the global pause button. I mean, <laughs> globally, it just, we just, we yeah. absolutely went into shutdown mode. And it's, it's, it's unique. It's not like the 2008 financial crisis. It's not like, you know, it, it has its own issues to deal with. And, and it's yeah. really is going to, I think it's going to change the landscape of how we do business on the backside of this. I think so many things are going to be birthed out of this, you know, out of every crisis, it's also an opportunity to, to yeah. kind of reinvent and, and to be efficient and streamline and, you know, choose what processes are, are really have a higher ROI versus the ones that don't. And, and all yeah. these questions you want to, you can answer in this, in this pause, but, but it's hurting people so badly because like you just said, you just went, you know, three months without revenue, you know, type thing. I mean, it's like we just decided we're, you know, there's, you do the co-working space for three and a half months for, for no cost. I mean, that's zero revenue. You still have expenses yeah. going on but it's zero revenue. And how many businesses out there, gyms, restaurants you mentioned are, are facing virtual. I mean, it's almost, are we going to exist, you know, in three yeah. months, you know, that's the question that they're answering right now, you know, or, and people are thinking, is my job even going to exist, you know, three months yeah. from now. So um, have you, have you sensed a, a sense with the people that you're, that are in your incubator or that they're in the co-working space, whether it's three or 30, I mean, have you sensed a, are they stressed or is it a fearful time or is it, or is there a little bit of guarded optimism even, you know, on, on some of, I mean, entrepreneurs are, are strange animals. Yeah. Uh, a, little, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've seen some companies thrive actually. Uh, that we're offering, for instance, telehealth consultations. Well, yeah. it was very difficult to get anything over the line a month ago. Now, yeah. now customers come to them. Um, but you know, that's sort of the one in ten businesses, uh, mm -hmm. which is quite aligned with the what is it, the startup genome report as well. Uh, that, that that surveys founders across the world where they saw something similar in terms of stats. Um, so I think many many founders are trying to keep an optimistic look uh, many here have made very difficult decisions very early on mm -hmm. right. meaning you know pay reductions um, redundancies you name it um, and i think many are simply trying to uh, focus on well uh, a product development they're like look well what, what else can we do uh, engineers seem to love this time because exactly. there's no distractions That's right. <laughs> And many company founders are, are now being advised uh, through, and, and I think that's the general advice globally, it's 
if you have existing investors, go knock on the door, get some funds, because you're going to expect a cold winter, right? Mm. Um, and no. they already said that in China last year, right? So this economic recession that we will be experiencing was something that was likely going to happen regardless. Mm. It's now just been accelerated no. uh, and, and will likely be a bit more severe than we had expected and hoped. Um, but the majority of founders are now saying, look, let's just, let's just focus on survival. Uh, and I think many of the emotions that come with that, the uncertainties and stuff, sort of take a second spot right now. We take a, take a back seat. Uh, but that will likely start to occur a little bit later on because right now we are experiencing the crisis, but we're not experiencing the consequences yet. Right. And the yeah. consequences, I think, are the scary bit. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good distinction. That's a, that, that really helps clarify. I, I'm curious, you kind of mentioned telemedicine as, as one of these you know, verticals that, that, are, that are going to see kind of a, actually they're, they're seeing real opportunity in this crisis. Yeah. What are some others that, that you know, specific verticals that you could, you could kind of pinpoint that you say, you know, whether it's food delivery or whatever that is, that you say these, these are really kind of unique niche you know, areas that are, that are really going to thrive in this time. Yeah. I mean, this is what we're constantly trying to figure out. I think it, it's too early to say that that's all I can say. I think we're still in that sort of getting used to accustomed to what mm -hmm. we like and we don't like uh, of this whole new economy or new way of living. Um, so it's a little bit hard to say, but I think something I've been looking at for instance as well, how, what, if we're going to open up again, um, what about um, 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 access systems? So for access to get into buildings and such, right? You no longer want to touchless entry, yeah. Touchless entry, but also yeah. maybe maybe at some point what will happen is well, we'll only allow you in if you've been tested, or we'll only oh, yeah. allow you if this or that. But mm. we're gonna have some we're gonna have some funny times uh, ahead yeah. that yeah. a lot of people will compare to to world wars mm. where you had to prove that you were X Y Z, right? Exactly. So I think. I think we're going to have a, an interesting time ahead, but yeah, these type of solutions will be useful. Uh, obviously, medical solutions are interesting, but generally, what I think is happening now, based on what we're seeing, but also if you look at, at the history, which I guess is the best way to inform us, is this is a time where uh, the the nice to haves uh, from the must haves will be very clear, right? It suddenly becomes very clear. But what's a necessity? Mm -hmm. That was a nice thing to have. Yep. Right now, the necessities will continue to thrive because, well, they're necessities. Mm -hmm. The nice to haves, however, well, that extra little bit of discretionary income will no longer be spent mm -hmm. towards nice to have products. Mm -hmm. We won't have that anymore. Yeah. So, uh, looking towards well, what is actually still popular is anything to do with deep tech, anything you can patent, anything that's actually solving a serious problem. Um, and that, I think, will likely thrive throughout this as countries as well will try to support that a bit more right um in the end building that ip that knowledge here mm -hmm. having the r d centers here will develop long-term uh, sustainable competitive advantages uh, building another app for something will not right, right? and we're not in a market where we can compete uh, if say an american app competitor comes in with way more cash way more expertise um that has always been the challenge for smaller countries now in the case of deep ip products that's not the case, mm -hmm. right? Because you can't just copy it. So I think that's where probably most investments will, will go to. And it's something that if you look at China, is something they've always been doing. Mm. They're very much, you know, most people in the, in, in the, in the party are from an engineering background. Mm -hmm. uh, they value sustainable IP. 
they obviously deal in that for many years yeah. now, foreign IP and such, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I won't go into that discussion. <laughs> um, and that's something that's been bringing them a lot of advantages. And I think more countries will start to realize that. So yeah, uh, very, very long-winded story here. But I think uh, essentials, anything deep tech, anything that you can, uh, uh, that, that provides a service that will, that will generate a competitive advantage for the country in the longer term. Right. I, I mean, I, I think that that is, I mean, I, I would, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think, you know, just some unique examples of things that, that potentially could be, you know, more refined telecommunication. How do yeah. you support more, you know, companies moving to a remote workforce versus, versus, you know, brick and mortar. Um, I mean, the last place I think I would like to be on the backside of this would be in commercial real estate. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, office space, yeah. I think will just, you know, be vacant because companies will decide, hey, we, we went six months with a, with a completely non-remote workforce and that went completely remote and we figured out we can do it. You know, yeah. what, what's the cost savings of, of not needing our office space and all the yeah. infrastructure and, you know, and especially in urban centers that it's very expensive to maintain, you know, type things. So. Um, that's, I think that's a huge, yeah. and, that's, and I think companies are going to be forced to, to adapt or they're not going to be able to compete for the best talent, you know, yeah. because yeah. it may be competitive salaries, but this company offers me remote working or more flexible work schedule. And this company has a very rigid, you know, Monday to Friday, eight thirty to five, you know, schedule. Yeah. They will not get the good, the best talent and, and they're, they're going to be at a loss, I think. Moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And then, uh, you know, obviously a, a fear for us is that as well, is that, you know, obviously those, those companies that, that are, are early stage do usually do not have the resources to survive a crisis like this. Well, having no. said that, I mean, most airlines who I would say are not early stage companies no. <laughs> have trouble surviving too. Oh, they, they're um, certainly going to. No. But I think people will try to value, will value flexibility. Mm -hmm. uh, they will have uh, probably some, some, uh, post-traumatic stress disorders that, from COVID-19 and the negotiations with their landlords that came from that yep. uh, because, my God, there's some horror stories. Yep. Uh, and we'll likely value flexibility and saying, look, maybe maybe there will be a credit system, right? Mm -hmm. Where you say, okay, well, we buy uh, $5,000 of credits uh, from uh, XYZ co-working space. Make use of it if you like. Don't make use of it if you don't like, but every Wednesday, all hands on deck, we have to be there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that sort of thing will likely happen more, um, which is very much in line as well with the autonomous driving uh, uh, trend. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine, imagine what that would do to city centers and office buildings. If you, if your autonomous vehicle becomes an extension of your living room um, and the distance will no longer matter so much. So it's all coming to that sort of point where I think actually this is not a bad thing. This yep. is not a bad thing. It's certainly forcing innovation. I mean, it, innovation is best born out of necessity. And, you know, yeah. the, the um, I mean, we lived in the Middle East for a while and it was amazing to me what I you know, saw, what people could do when their, their back was against the wall and they had to create things versus buy them. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely amazing, you know, what, what can come out of, out of necessity. But um, I, could, I could continue to just can ask you questions all night long or all, all morning long on your, your time, but uh, I do want to respect your time, and I, I really do appreciate you, you just chatting with us today. But is there anything that you'd like to just wrap up with that uh, I haven't touched on, I haven't asked you about, that 
And then just tell people where the best place to find if more information online. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, as, as for more information online, um, look me up on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Duco, D-U-C-O. There are not that many. Uh, and check out haymarkethq.com. Um, now, as for, as for last uh, 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 things that, that you may not have touched on, I think one of the questions you asked as well in the document you sent was, well, how do you think founders should prepare for the future? Oh, that's right? great. Yeah. And, we, and we, we touched upon that for, for some time. But just to reiterate, I think it's about um, move away from the Forbes articles. Go and learn from those that have gone through the crisis get out of your bubble and really figure out, well, is your product a nice to have or must have and prepare for that new economy, uh, build a few scenarios and, and sort of prepare for the worst. Right. Um, but, um, in a positive way, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunities in that, like you also mentioned. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully more companies will, will, will see this as an opportunity. And I love the way you, you just wrapped us up today and, and what I, I mean with, it's kind of a guarded hopefulness, you know, this, this, uh, yeah. or a guarded optimism that says, you know, it is going to be tough and, and we are going to have to navigate this, you know, carefully, but there will be opportunity in this as well. If you or if you'll, you know, really refine your processes and kind of, you know, strip down to the bare necessities and, and make yourself efficient and effective and be ready for whatever is going to come on the backside of this and, and be, and be adapt to that. So, I just really appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, it's been great to connect with you and just kind of hear your yeah, story and, and whatever, you know, just the, the way that it's kind of going, it's almost like we've kind of walked a virtual day with you, you know, through the co-working space, the incubator, but Duco, thank you for just playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Another episode in the books. We hope you had some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.